Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Well, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Nurse Becoming podcast. It's your host, Amanda Guarneri. I am so happy to have you here today, whether you are a first-time listener or a long-time listener. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. And I have a wonderful interview to share with you today that I recorded with Dr. Vanessa Casper. Dr. Casper is a nurse practitioner, and she is also the host of the healthcare podcast called Dose of Support. She hosts an interdisciplinary show that highlights the healthcare worker, their role, a story from practice, and their self-care strategies. Vanessa is really passionate about self-care in healthcare and the way that she has brought together different members of the interdisciplinary team to have this conversation on her podcast is really, really special. So I encourage you to go listen to Dose of Support. Dr. Casper also works full-time as a primary care provider, which you'll hear about in the show. She's a mom to an almost two-year-old little boy and is a staunch advocate for working women in healthcare. And she is salty. And it's funny, we recorded and we could see each other because the software that I use, we only record the audio, but we can still see each other during the conversation. And she had this awesome t-shirt on that said, salty like normal saline. And it's so true. So I think you are really going to enjoy this conversation. We start by, you know, talking about Vanessa's journey in nursing. She has a really phenomenal journey from CNA to doctorally prepared nurse practitioner. And then we pivot a little bit. And and what we really wanted to talk about was our response to this viral video that we both saw on YouTube about someone who decided to quit the NP profession. So we kind of unpack that video a little bit and in the process kind of bring about our our dreams for the future of the NP profession and NP education and just have this honest kind of candid conversation back and forth about how we feel and where we wish things could be going in the future. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Okay, Dr. Vanessa Casper, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Manda. Thanks for having me. <laughs> very excited to talk to you like face to face. You and I have been Instagram buddies for a while. And um, it's so nice to like take things off Instagram and share a glass of wine through our computers together. Are you also drinking? I'm energetically with you okay. on this. I just don't have a bottle of wine in my home right now, <laughs> which is which is the problem. I don't mind. I don't mind. Okay, good. Well, today's episode, we are going to dive into kind of a controversial video that you may or may not have seen. And we'll get into that in a few minutes uh, about someone who 
is leaving a nurse practitioner practice. And we're going to kind of not pick it apart, but but dive into the pieces that are brought up in the video. But first, I would love for you to introduce yourself in your own words. Tell my listeners a little bit about you, about what you do, about your platform, and we'll go from there. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for having me on the show today. I am Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner, and my role on Instagram, the way that we met was through my own podcast called Dose of Support, where we hear from all healthcare members, all the, all the team members on the interdisciplinary team. So anyone in healthcare, we've probably had them on the show. And really, my goal with the show is to have underrepresented voices share their stories, share their role. And we always talk self-care and healthcare in every episode. And I think it's important to learn from each other. We can give better care if we work together better. And if we can take care of ourselves and learn from each other in that way, we can have a healthier workforce. So that's the goal of the show, less than 30 minutes, and you get a lot for, and we we drop an episode every Wednesday. So my clinical background is at 19, yep, 19, I was a certified nursing assistant in a long-term care center and a hospital, and it's the hardest work on the planet. It is literally the like CNAs and patient care techs and ER techs, I mean, they work so hard. It is physically demanding, emotionally demanding. And I learned a lot doing that. And then I got my two-year RN degree or an ADN at a community college. I was a young lady, newlywed, and didn't have a lot of money. And that's how I did it. And then right when I was taking my finals, my husband said, I'm out of here. And he left. And so I take my finals and I sign up for NCLEX and I'm taking NCLEX and getting a divorce at like 23. And so I didn't have the emotional intelligence that I have now at 35. And it was total devastation at that time. And I passed NCLEX. I did it. And I got my first job in 2008 during the recession in long-term care because as a two-year degree nurse, it was hard to get a hospital job. And so I pursued my ADN to BSN to finish that degree. And I packed up from the Midwest and moved all the way down to Texas for a hospital job so I could get that hospital experience. And I worked in a level one trauma center, got my CCRN, got my trauma certificate, and stayed at the bedside in ICU for about seven years after that, and then moved home. It's funny because I moved home and my new husband, I got I upgraded. <laughs> we talked about me going back to school and we talked about the different routes to take. You know, there's a lot that you can do in healthcare. And I already had a bachelor's degree. So, like, I could have gone on to PA school, NP school. I could have gone on to another specialty like speech language pathology. There's so many options once you have a bachelor's degree. And so, we actually looked at a lot of those options. And I felt so committed to nursing. Like, I felt like going, even going to med school, like, we talked about that. And I, I felt like, like leaving nursing was like a betrayal. <laughs> and so I went into nurse practitioner school. I went through a four-year doctoral program. I had a thousand clinical hours for that and 10 years of RN experience of high level, I would say high level RN experience in intensive care behind me, plus five years as a 
CNA. So I had a lot of patient care hours behind me when I became a nurse practitioner. And I think that it prepared me really well. And I've now been a nurse practitioner in primary care for three years, I think. So not very long. I'm still a noob. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. And you're in primary care right now. And so are you mostly like working with families? Do you have an older adult population? Is there a particular demographic of your practice? Yes. So I'm adult Gero certified because I never, ever wanted to care for a kid ever. There is not enough money. Really, it's parents. Parents are horrible. Kids are great. The parents are horrible. So I just knew that about myself. You know, an AGNP in my state, you can treat 13 and up. And AGNPs are often utilized in hospital environments more, in adult hospital environments more too. So with all my inpatient experience, I wanted to get out of the inpatient world. I had seen a lot. I had been through a lot. Um, And you guys can listen to episode zero if you want to learn more about that story and my background. But I wanted to prevent the problems I was seeing at the bedside inpatient. And so I chose primary care and I chose the adult Gero track. And I specifically round now in assisted livings, in rehab centers, and in long-term care centers. And y'all have probably heard those on the news during the pandemic. And it's been really, really tough during the pandemic. Mm. Um, So it is a really special population. I see a lot of people that have developmental disabilities or physical disability that has landed them in that environment. And it's not all necessarily older adults. Like I have patients in their 30s that, you know, like with MS or something like that. There's a lot of stigma associated with skilled nursing facilities. And I really love the work. I think it's underserved and it's a special population that needs more love. Yeah, I can tell that your passion for your work is, you know, shining through a little. You got a little twinkle in your eye that I can I can see. This is a podcast. No one else can see it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I love that you share your story and I love that you point out your trajectory. And you and I have very we were talking about this before we hit record. We have very different pathways to how we became NPs, whereas you really started from kind of the very first nursing step Mm -hmm. and worked your way forward and forward. And I think that that gives you a really special perspective of kind of how to up-level, you know, how to do more, how to take on more responsibility because you've seen things at every stage. Would you, would you agree? Yeah. You know, when I order a lab or when I ask for a certain type of dressing change or, when I change a code status or something, like I'm just trying to think of like, when you write an order as a nurse practitioner, this is for everyone listening. When you write an order, what do you think happens next? <laughs> like, the, like it's it doesn't just magically get done, right? And I, I say this to my MD colleagues all the time, like, like everyone should serve in that capacity to know that like the blood draw isn't magically done because you wrote the order for it. Like there's someone, a nurse, most likely, or a huck, or someone who processes orders at your facility, at your workplace. Maybe it's computerized. I don't know. But, you know, there's somebody on the other end that has to do that work. And I feel like 
when you understand what doing that work is like, when you write your orders, you're respecting what that person has to do, what they have to go through at their at their job. And being a nurse is hard. Yeah, the the enemas don't administer themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> you know, I'm making a joke, but truthfully, you're right. It's a respectful exchange and when you know what has to happen on the other side, you can develop more of a mutual respect for your colleagues on the interdisciplinary team, which I know you love to support mm-hmm. because it's it's not just, you know, I'm going to place this order and walk away and it's just going to happen. And if it doesn't happen by my time frame, then I'm going to get mad about it. You know, let me be respectful and considerate of of the process. And, and I feel like that respect comes back. I don't know about you, but I've talked to other nurse practitioners who really struggle with getting the quote-unquote respect they deserve in the NP role. Have you heard of that? Have you kind of heard that perspective that they don't feel respected by the nurses once they become nurse practitioners? You know, as a newer grad, I was worried about this, but I have personally never felt that way. I had so many years behind me. Like I I knew how to work with people. I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to have hard conversations. All my years in ICU, how many patients were dying, coding, and I had a family member there that I was explaining what was going on and explaining what we, had, what we were going to do next. And that was before becoming a provider. The law is that we are independent practitioners here. I don't work under an MD. That is not the structure of my clinical group either. We are probably 30 plus uh, nurse practitioners and a PA and a handful of MDs. And so we're very pro-NP where I work. And because I'm going out to facilities, like I'm I'm out there alone. Like I'm out there and the facility nurses are usually leaning on me with questions. And so I feel like I've always been this collaborative person. Nurses are so good at that. Nurses, like by nature, are collaborators. And I feel like I was able to start teaching and start demonstrating that leadership right right away. And I have five years of academic teaching too. So it was easy for me to step into that teacher role. And when you're teaching someone and they feel like they can learn from you and they feel like you're open, I never felt that dynamic. Some of the nurses use my title, even though they talk to me every day. They use Dr. Vanessa. They, they say that. Sometimes, you know, I have to explain it. I have to explain it to patients and families and the nursing staff sometimes have to explain it too. Like, no, she is a doctor. She's a different kind of doctor, a nurse practitioner. And, you know, in my state, I'm functioning as that independent provider anyway. So I think DOs were once considered not real doctors either back in the late 90s. And the AMA went after them for, you know, like... 10 years before they could be, I guess, considered similar. But, you know, there are a lot of problems with NP education, which, you know, Amanda and I talked about before the show started. You know, I can see why some NPs that come out of school might not have the confidence, might not know how to interact in certain environments, might not know how to collaborate. I can see where that's a problem. Yeah, totally. I I personally have not been the recipient of any poor collaboration with nurses. Like you, I have always approached it as a team sport and mm-hmm. and really 
position myself as as a resource to help them do their jobs, right? They're right. helping me do my job. I'm going to help them do their job. But I've worked with other NPs who have been bedside nurses for years and years and years, gone back to become nurse practitioners and come out with this sense of entitlement of oh lord i'm better than i'm better than you now i put in my dues at the bedside now i'm an np and you're going to fulfill my orders and don't come to me with that question and and it's like this whole weird dynamic so i've i've witnessed it and then i've you know been in the facebook groups where people are like why won't the nurses respect me and I think if you have to even ask that question, yeah, you're yeah, well, bleed, probably you're not a, respecting the nurses, bro. Bro, you're the problem. Like, right? Hmm, that's terrible. Yeah. I, I, I need to join these Facebook groups, and I, I'm no, don't do it. Oh, I, I will. Don't do it. I will fight the fight. I am fighting the patriarchy every day. Any respect issues that I've ever had have been because I've, uh, I'm a woman have been because mm. uh, because of my gender, not because of my title, not because of my training, my background. No one ever puts that down, you know? People are always it, when I explain, you know, where I went to school and how many years I was in school, when they, you know, people have asked that because they don't know what a nurse practitioner is. You know, sometimes we have to teach our patients what we do. And when I explain that, they're, "Oh, that's so great." You know, like I, I've never gotten that. I have gotten like a, oh, you're too, you're too young to be a doctor. And like, if uh, she can see me, but you guys can't, I have like silver hair. Like it's, this is, this is my natural silvery brown hair and I'm in my mid thirties. And so like, I'm not too young to be a doctor or a lot of people just default to the man is going to be the one to make these right. big decisions. That's the only pushback I've had. Yeah, that's agreed. You mentioned earlier, you know, that NP education could use some improvement. And I think this is a, a good segue to kind of recap this video that we watched not too long ago that went viral on YouTube by an NP named David Warren. And the title of the video was, I am quitting the NP profession. And um little clickbait. Just a little, a little little clickbait right there. Yes. And and I think that we should give the spoiler alert first. And he is quitting the NP profession to go to CRNA school. Okay. So like he's not leaving the world of advanced practice to go become a, I don't know, whatever people do when they're not NPs anymore. Like he's going into kind of another arm of our profession, right? So Vanessa and I kind of talked about this video and I I don't know how many people messaged you, but people DM'd it to me, people emailed it to me. Did you see this video? People posted it in these Facebook groups, which I advise you not to join, you know, basically like 10 times over the span of a week, this video came up. Did anybody see this? Did anybody see this? So we just kind of wanted to unpack the video a little bit. Yeah. So I'd love to know just like your initial thoughts about this video before we kind of dive into the, the th he had three main points, three main reasons why he's leaving. And we'll talk about each one, but love to get your kind of initial thoughts. Yeah. So I told Amanda before we started recording, I'm a recovering Catholic. And with that comes a lot of judgment. I, so my initial impression of him is he's kind of a bro and he wants to make some more money and that he's frustrated with where he's at 
and looking for an escape. To me, it sounded like he felt like the market was saturated where he was working, which is such an excuse. And it sounded like he had only worked one job as an NP. So I'm like, yeah, you've clearly done it all. Move on. So I was I was pretty pissed watching this video. And so if you're the kind of person that um, is a hothead like me and like I'll be like I wasn't like, you know, burning it down or anything. I just mean like I was mad that someone would use a big platform like that to put down a whole group of people that are out there doing amazing work for patients. Like you're putting down an entire profession that's providing care for patients where there there isn't other types of providers. There are entire counties in Texas where there isn't even a physician. Like there isn't a physician in the entire county, but there is a nurse practitioner and they still don't have independent practice there, by the way. Mm. So it's like these nurse practitioners are out there providing really important care and you just put them all down because you're not having a good time. So I was mad. I was mad for all of us. I was mad for all of you. You're welcome. Yeah. And, you know, I felt really defensive during the video. And he even says, like, you're not going to like what I'm going to say, but and then and then he says it. And like, it made me wonder what the objective was of the video. Like, is the objective of the video to be controversial and kind of get that viral thing going? It felt that way. Because... It did feel that way. And like something that the hill that I will die on is that for the people who have decided to enter our profession, who have decided to go to NP school, advance their education and and become nurse practitioners, like we are not doing them any favors by basically crapping all over the profession and, and not being supportive. And I really think that they're like, if you support somebody <laughs> And if you are positive and and give solutions rather than complain or shine light on problems. And like flying the coop, like clearly he was like, I'm out of here. It's too hard. Right. You can make a difference. And And if you want to like scare away all these nurse practitioner students, which could potentially give you an advantage because your market would no longer be competitive, then you know, maybe you did what you what you came to this video to do. Yeah. And that was kind of my initial reaction. And especially like obviously the oversaturation claims. I'm not a big fan of that term. I mm-hmm. don't think that it's a fair blanket statement to apply to our whole profession because it just frankly isn't true. Right. Like, it's false. <laughs> it's false information that there are more nurse practitioners in the country than there are nurse practitioner opportunities. There are denser areas and DFW may be one of those areas. I'm not familiar. I don't live there. But you can't just take that situation of that one city and apply it to everywhere. And and a lot of people like to do that as a means to kind of edge into that conversation about NP education Mm -hmm. because it kind of is that like sticking point of, okay, the market's oversaturated, so we need to cut out these online education programs. Like people jump from one conversation to to the other where there isn't, like they're not directly related necessarily. Right. I would agree with that. You know, anything bad that happens by a nurse practitioner, that is like spotlighted. AMA is all over that. Like people are all over it because as a female dominated profession, we are already fighting. We're already fighting 
to be seen as equals. We're already fighting to have equality in practice and less barriers to patient care. Like we're already fighting this fight. And for someone like him who has white male privilege to come in and shit on the profession, I don't think that he completely understood his power when he did that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the other thing too is that we want nurse practitioners to become nurse practitioners for the right reasons, right? Like there is a conversation to be had about why people are entering our profession and deciding to become NPs. And I think that's a really valuable conversation to have. You know, we let's could talk have about it. let's have yeah, it now. I mean let's let's, let's do it do now. It. Let's go off script. Let's have it now. <laughs> so so who do you think should not necessarily become a nurse practitioner or or what's what isn't a great reason to become a nurse practitioner. Yeah, I think that's the better way to, like, if you're looking for an escape, if you think that, oh, that's what all nurses do, if you, because there is there is a group of students now going through their BSN programs and just, like, going straight in because they think that's what nurses do. So I think there's a cultural component to this where, like, people think that's what they're supposed to do. So there's a cultural component. And then I think there's nurses at the bedside that are like, I'm fried. I can't do this anymore. I'm burnt out. So I'll go do that. And let me tell you, I work way more hours now than I did at the bedside. And so that is not an escape. It's not an escape. It's different. I feel like that's a bad reason to get into it. Totally. There are lots of good reasons. And I think looking at your work-life balance and kind of what what do you want to do? Like the physical doing every day. Like, do you want to do dressing changes every day? Do you want to, you know, change a pick line dressing or, you know what I mean? Like it's the actual tasks. Like, what do you want to do when you're at work? What is that? And if it if it is what NPs do, then maybe you're thinking along the right path. Sorry, I just hit my mic. But <laughs> I, fine. very aggressive. <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. I don't encourage burnt out bedside nurses to default to becoming NPs mm-hmm. uh, because chances are the same things that led to you to get burned out at the bedside will carry over. It's not a fix to that problem. You know, I think a lot of nurses get to a point in their bedside career that they want more. Mm -hmm. They want to do more. They want to be more. They want their impact to be different, which is phenomenal. And there are so many ways to do that, that I really encourage each person to explore what that means for them. Mm -hmm. Because there are so many ways to have big careers without being nurse practitioners. And arguably, there are nurses, there are bachelor's prepared or even master's prepared RNs who have far bigger careers than we do as nurse practitioners and who are our bosses, frankly. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Nurse practitioner isn't like the big guns, right? Like, I I think that there's this misconception among bedside nurses that that's the next thing. Then I can have more control and autonomy over what happens with the patient. But, you know, That's not necessarily true either. Like, I think what you'll find is the patient drives the care. I mean, if you're doing it right, the patient and the family, you're doing shared decision making. And like, so what you think it is might not be what it is. There's so many things that people don't explore, right? Like academia. Like, I love teaching. I love academia. It's a little political, at least where I was. 
But like it, it, there are so many little niches within nursing in particular that, yeah, you don't need to be a nurse practitioner. You don't, period. You can and then do something else with it. But a good example of this, I think, is Pat Mac RN on Instagram. Yes. Um, he's getting his master's in nursing education. He teaches clinical and he works per diem, I think, as a critical care nurse. So he keeps those skills up. Plus, he's you know, doing all the things, teaching, and he's more of a leader in our profession than I am. You know what I mean? Like you don't have yeah. to have an NP. So I think it's it's really interesting that you say that because in, it's not just education either. Like there's dialysis nursing. There's so, there's so many specialty areas that are nine to five. Like if you're looking for a schedule mm -hmm. change or you're looking for like a different atmosphere, like there are so many other things you could do that aren't what you're doing now. And have you tried a lot of those? Ugh, probably not. Like, do you really want to spend six figures going back to school when you haven't tried other things? Maybe not. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like, if if NP is what you decide to do, we will, well, I mean, I will welcome you with open arms, 100%. <laughs> I will sort of. But I think, <laughs> I kidding. think that you, you owe it to yourself. Nurses owe it to themselves to do that element of discovery, to figure out what the heck you want in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you want your life to look like? Do you want to be defined by your career? Is your personal identity tied to your professional identity? If that's what you want, great. If it's not, but it's like that, like, how are you going to detach that? You know, do you want to decide what your ideal day, week in life yeah. looks like and then fit your job into that? Because you owe it to yourself to figure out what you want so that you don't repeat any mistakes or you don't end up in a place where you are unhappy and regretting your decision or, or wondering whether you should have done that. The other thing that I want to say is that money, you know, NPs don't, by default, make more money than every RN there ever is or was, oh, yeah. right? There are plenty of RNs who work in a specific specialty or have climbed the clinical ladder and pay scale at their hospital that will make more money in some places than a new grad uh, NP. You know, I, oh, it's 10 years now since I graduated. I'm an elder, an elder NP. And my first job as an NP, I lived in Ohio. I had moved to Ohio to chase my husband, who was not my husband yet. <laughs> and um, I took a job that was technically a 10-month job. So it was a 10-month salary because it was at a university in student health. And my first job was less than $70,000 a year. And when I switched about a year later to a 12-month job in the same area in Ohio, I still was making $75,000 a year 10 years ago. That's that's not, you know, that wasn't a lot of money uh, compared to what nurses were making. In my nursing job before I graduated from NP school, I was making 30 bucks an hour. So I think that that's a conversation to have too. And, and you know, one of the things that David brought up in his video was that oversaturation is driving down salaries for nurse practitioners. I'd love to know your thoughts and your what you've seen with that. Yeah. So I've seen lots of different payment models as a nurse practitioner. And a lot of people, I just want to say a lot of nurse practitioners leave their first job. I don't have statistics on this, but I had learned this before I graduated 
that, you know, a lot of people like take the first job they can get as a new grad and then they leave and they have experience. Mm -hmm. And so they take that experience with them. The job that I, that I got, I was granted several years of NP experience because they counted my bedside nursing experience as several years. Um, so I, I already had a leg up on my salary and I, I was salary based at that time. Now I'm a hybrid model where we have like a minimum salary that we all are guaranteed. And then if we, you know, happen to see more patients or like our caseload is really high, you, you know, if more patients come in, then there is extra revenue because if your workload goes up, you're seeing more, you're doing more. And so insurance pays more and it's, it's a convoluted system, but I do know NPs that are completely productivity based Yes, that they nickel and dime patients for every little thing. And like, I actually don't like that productivity model because I think that there is a lot of opportunity for fraudulent, not fraudulent, but unethical care, you know, like, oh, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I saw you for 30 seconds. Okay. Here's a bill. Like I eyeballed you. Looks good. I'm giving Amanda a thumbs up. I know you guys can't see that, but <laughs> so what I'm saying is like these different production models or, or salary models, you're either on a fixed salary or you're on some kind of hybrid model like me, or you're on a production-based model where like you can see as many patients as you want and you're going to get paid the more that you see. And I know NPs in my state that have made upwards of $200,000 doing that. And that is not in a specialty. That's in primary care. So then you think about like a specialty provider that probably does get paid a little bit more. Maybe they have some more training. Maybe they have extra certifications. My understanding is that is this that is the case in specialty areas, in some specialty areas. Like think about derm. Holy buckets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so I I think that there's even more opportunity there. Like, and then you look at like CRNAs, they're easily making close to 200 or more. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily productivity based and they're sitting on their butts for most of the day. And so I'm kind of like, and clearly I'm being facetious as an ICU nurse. I just have to say like all ICU nurses go become CRNAs. Like that is just like what happens. And a lot of people stop into the ICU for their two years of experience and then go on to CRNA school because that's what happens. And as a longtime ICU nurse, I was like, okay, I'll check this out. I did a couple rotations in an OR and I was so bored. I was bored and I was cold. I was cold and bored and hungry and I couldn't leave. You can't leave. You're just sitting, you're literally, you have to sit there and I was bored. So a CRNA school was not for me, even though I had plenty of critical care experience. I, it was not, it was not my jam. The huge discrepancy in pay there also really bothers me. And I don't understand. I mean, is it because there's so much reimbursement for anesthesia and there isn't enough reimbursement for the primary care activities that I'm doing? So I know it kind of comes down to that, like what you generate as a provider and what gets reimbursed by insurance or Medicare, et cetera. Right. That's how they can pay you. I mean, so I'm sure it's fixed. To some extent, it's fixed. Yeah. But the saturation of the market driving down the price, I don't get it. Like, how does that happen when it's fixed? Like, if you bring in X amount of revenue, then that's what you're worth. I mean, 
you're worth more than that. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand how he came up with this ratio. I know that was a right. very roundabout way to get there, but. No, I fall. I follow. Okay. <laughs> I think, I think that what the perception is, is that there are so few jobs that everybody's scrambling for the same job. And as a result, the employer recognizes that they don't have to pay, you know, a fair salary. They can just offer whatever. And people are so desperate for jobs that they'll take it. And then everyone gets mad at that person for taking a job at a lower salary because it undermines our profession. And then the people taking the low paying jobs are also driving down our value. But I think that that's a perception. You know, I think that that is maybe happening in some areas of the country. I think that it's not representative of what's happening everywhere else. You know, I have course students from around the country. I've had 200 people, 200 new NPs go through my program in the past year. And not one of them has had an offer that's so insultingly low that I had to tell them not to take it, right? Like, Everything has been fair in relation to where they live yeah. in the country. Yeah. And, I, and that's I think an important that's, point, too. That's a really interesting thing to say. Dallas-Fort Worth, I, I happen to have been there many times. Like, it's bougie. But Texas itself pays very poorly to nurse practitioners. In my experience, I worked there for four years, not as an NP. I'll caveat that. But with NPs. And I, I feel like it is regional. So like what people get paid is respective to where they live and what the needs are in the area. And if you're in a high need environment too, like if you're in an underserved situation and they need you, they're going to pay you. I don't know. I also feel like it was kind of stupid for him to post this during a pandemic. Like people, people are hurting for work. I think there are NPs that lost their jobs or got furloughed. And so there is this feeling of uncertainty and not feeling settled and not knowing where your job is going to be next. So he's really like slapped all those NPs in the face when really like it's the pandemic, like the pandemic screwed all that up. That's not a reason to leave, but I guess it was for him, you know? And so it felt really icky in that way, too. Yeah, I I agree. And, I, you know, I'm all for sharing your personal experience and lessons learned. But when you kind of take advantage of your of your platform in a way that sends a message, sends a negative message to people who are aspirational, like, oh, that just... Why would you want to dim to somebody's light? Why would you... Exactly. I mean, that just... I don't know. I don't know. That just... I think that's the part that, that got me the most. Like, if you want to leave, leave. I'm not going to be upset. You know, everyone is welcome to make the choices that are best for them. If you want to have a change in career, go forth and do that. But yeah, you know, dimming other people's light is... And being just kind of generally discouraging, mm -hmm. but like pretending not to be like, oh, you're not going to like what I'm going to say, but uh, then don't say it. That's just like, <laughs> like, and yeah, don't, don't be unsupportive. And I think, I feel like he did say like, if you want to keep doing this, that's fine. Like, okay, bro. Thanks for being condescending. So yeah, that was one point that I remember. Hey, my friend, real quick. 
Very soon, I will be unlocking the doors to the NP Society, a virtual community for nurse practitioners to advance their careers, engage in expert masterclasses, expand their clinical confidence, and connect with other outstanding NPs. And I would love for you to be a part of it. If you are a nurse practitioner or soon to be one, and this level of community and personal development has been missing from your life, then I invite you to get on the waitlist for the NP Society now so that you don't miss the announcement and special invitation to join. So head to thenpsociety.com to join the waitlist. Again, that's thenpsociety.com to join the waitlist. And I can't wait to tell you more about this community that I've been working on behind the scenes. I am so ready to release it to the world and have you join me inside. So again, head to thenpsociety.com to join the waitlist. The final point that he made that I can like kind of get behind is he pointed out the division and segregation of our profession into a lot of specialties. And I do think that in some respects that causes a lot of professional confusion. You know, like if you think about PAs, like you know what a PA is. A PA has had a standardized group of rotations in school. They've had a very standardized clinical education. And we as nurse practitioners are really kind of segmented in a lot of different buckets. And like for non-NPs who hire us and work with us, it's a lot to explain. and It's kind of confusing. And he felt that that was part of the reason why he couldn't support being an NP anymore. So he went into one of the other branches, which is CRNA. How do you feel about that? I actually agreed with him on this to a certain extent. I don't think he explained it very well, but like I said in the beginning, I'm an adult Jero NP. I never wanted to work with kids. And in my nursing education, I did a full semester in pediatrics. Like I I got the experience. I knew I didn't like it. I knew I didn't want it. PAs are specifically their their programs are based off of a medical model and their programs and clinicals are supported by medical schools as well so they always get clinical set up for them they always have these experiences set up for them the patriarchy is supporting pa education. And here we are on the other end and I'm not trying to play a victim I'm saying that nursing has always been held back by a patriarchal system. And I actually heard a quote from somebody the other day. They said, nurses, it was nursing the system, my former student, Claire. Um, She said that some nurses only became nurses because the physicians they were working with wouldn't let those women become doctors. Something to that extent. And like, I I don't think that's true. I think nursing has been around since the dawn of time. I think there's always been a nurse or caregiver there. It just wasn't defined that way. Mm. But when we want to be a step up and be a provider and provide this advanced nursing practice, we're held back because we're not part of the medical model. And you know, we're left to fend for ourselves in the educational system, and we're not going to be supported by big institutions that will support medical schools, but won't support nursing education. And so big institutions are going to support PA programs and medical residents to go through and get all of their hours. But the nursing systems haven't been built up and they have been held back legally, like legislatively held back from 
being where they need to be at to be standardized. And so like I think we do need to standardize NP education to a certain extent and then specialize. Like I think everyone should get X NP training. Period. And then if you know you want to do peds, get a certification in peds. Get a certification in JARO. Get a certification in women's health after after your standard NP education, which should be thousands of hours, in my opinion, of clinical work. Like I felt pretty confident, I guess. I'm, I'm in the same job that I have been in, but there are still so many things that I'm learning and still so many opportunities that I'm taking to do something new. And I just feel like, and I'm experienced, like I'm bringing all of these years of changing dressings, talking talking to families, doing the doing the stuff, right? Taking my years of experience and that's giving me confidence and that's giving me good critical thinking. But there's so many things that I wish I could have gotten in school or more of in school. Like I got it, but I got like a day of it. And if we standardize that and everyone gets the same thing, it will only elevate the profession. It will only bring up the standard of care. And I totally acknowledge like wanting to work in a specialty. Like if you want to be a derm NP, awesome, do that. But like we all need this basic training first, just like the army. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. No, I completely agree. I can really support that. And I think that what you said really hits the mark. Like it can only elevate the profession. You know, it can only elevate us as a group. It can only bring us together. Uh, and I think I think that we could really, really benefit from that. It, it has come a long, not a long way, but it has come some way in terms of, well, yes and no. I'm thinking like back when I was in school, there was no adult Jero. So I'm grandfathered in as an adult NP. My dual program was actually adult NP and women's health NP. So they combined and did adult Jero, but then they split off the acute care and the primary care and like in peds and in adult Jero. So they kind of like made these other divisions. And yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, sometimes I wonder who's in charge uh, and who's well, who's making decisions. You, you say you say you think it's gotten better, but I'm kind of like the certification bodies, the AANP and the ANCC, right? ANCC? I don't know. I'm AANP. Yeah. There Um, are more, but yeah. yeah. So these certification bodies, they only require 500 hours to sit for boards and period. Like that's the standard. That's the only standardization that we have. That's it. And it's funny because RN programs, like the regular registered nursing programs out there, ADN or BSN, they do get a standardized education. Like some nursing schools are better than others, but they have to meet a minimum by the board of nursing in their state. They have to meet clinical hour requirements. And a nurse takes the same board exam in every state. You know what I mean? Like, so it is standardized, even though it it's kind of state by state in America, it is more standardized. So like, why haven't we done that as NPs? Yeah, right. And then there are some programs that go above and beyond. Yep. Um, yeah. Like there are some that do the bare minimum and and require 500 hours as a program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other programs that have more. And my program was 1,500 hours. And then to be then compared to someone who's had 500 hours or to be kind of lumped in the same group for someone who's had different clinical preparation. Mm-hmm. 
it's difficult to advocate for the profession when our whole profession can't get its act together and and really provide that standardization, right? Because at the end of the day, like I can only speak for my own clinical competence and I can only prove to my physician colleagues who are, you know, questioning whether or not I'm capable when they meet me for the first time. Mm -hmm. I can only advocate for the profession with how I represent a nurse practitioner, right? And I would love to be able to say that I'm representative of all nurse practitioners in terms of the quality of care I provide and my clinical competency, but that's not necessarily the case. And that's not the case in any profession, right? Like you're going to have a varying level of clinical competency and excellence, but to be able to elevate that standard or to be able to elevate, you know, the guarantee of of what every NP has would be would be really great for us yeah, uh, as a whole. Like, and not to diminish any NPs that are listening that did a straight through program, like you were talking about that. But that is actually one of the reasons I I worked so much before going back to school, because the, I consider that my pre-residency. You know, like I did a residency before school <laughs> instead of one after school. <laughs> and if the quality of my nursing experience really counts too, because like the critical thinking you have to do in intensive care or the fact that I worked in long-term care then in telemetry, then in IC. Like I worked in so many different areas. I have a rich history and experience that I'm bringing with me as my residency before school. And then I can take what I learn in school and apply it to what I've, what I've seen, look back, and then I can look forward too. And so obviously there's no perfect way to go about this. I like to tell people like, I don't think you need a lot of experience. I don't think you need 10 years of experience before you go back to school. But I do think like a couple years, try a few things out. How do you know what you like? I think that's important and it kind of serves as a pre-residency. And that's what I tell my physician colleagues when I've ever gotten any pushback from them about, well, I do a residency or I do a fellowship and I'll be like, did you do 10 years in intensive care? Because I did. It's not the same, but it's not less valuable. Yeah. And I also think we are always measuring or other people are measuring what we do against what medical education does. And why is that the standard? Is that perfect? There's some shit doctors out there. And I mean physician doctors, not other kinds, because we're awesome. I'm kidding. Um, But I mean, like, a medical school can churn out a shit physician. Happens all the time. And so why is medical education the standard that we're measuring and that we're being held to, too? People are saying, well, you're not good enough because you didn't do that. And I'm like, why is that what we're measuring from? Because you look Mm -hmm. at their rotations and medical students go through all sorts of like random rotations that they're never going to use. Like maybe they are just going to be a radiologist. That's all they're going to do. So why are they doing a psych rotation? I think some of what's done in medical school, no education is wasteful, but you don't necessarily need all of it. And that's where nurse practitioners have mastered, you know, like if if we're going to go into primary care, we're just going to learn that primary care stuff. Yeah. And that's one thing that like we really have done well at is (laughs) where he says in the video, there's so many different routes you can go as a nurse practitioner. Some of that is good because we have decided I'm going to be an expert in this and we're not wasting time on the other stuff. 
because we don't need to. In medical school, they kind of feel like they need to for some reason, and I'm kind of not sure why. Yeah, man. (laughs) I feel like we could like restructure education and the profession if we just had a couple more hours. (laughs) No, are you kidding? We solved it. We solved it. Everyone listening, go out there and do it. We're done. (laughs) Well, I just think that this really, it brings up so many great conversation points that we should be having and we should be having them like not just on podcasts, right? Like Mm -hmm. we should be having them in places that can really affect change. Like if we feel passionately about these things, yes, we can create podcasts and YouTube videos, right? But we should also be looking for ways to affect the change with the decision makers, right? Like, and looking for ways to become the decision makers and looking for ways to play our part in improving things. You know, like if you're not happy with the quality of the students at a particular school in your area, become a preceptor, you know, become a preceptor or try to get involved with faculty members and and provide the feedback because we're not going to be able to solve problems unless we have a seat at the right tables. And I think that it's really easy to kind of get fired up and and heated and go on social media and talk about something and then to let it stop there and and not bring our brilliance to the table where it can actually make a difference. So that is a a call to action to anyone who cares (laughs) about these topics. I am a preceptor and I'm on curriculum board at the NP school that I went to. And so I can at least have a say in how they're structuring coursework and clinical experiences. And I really feel good about that. But I have been thinking like, maybe I need to get on like a local nursing board or committee or the educational body that sets that 500 hours, how do we get on that board? Right. How do we do research that shows we need more? How do we do research that shows that it impacts the bottom line to have better quality education, better standardized education? Like we need to Mm -hmm. prove that this is what we need as a profession. I think like a lot of us can talk about how this is what we need as a profession, but we're going to have to prove to people that hold the money and hold the power that this is why we need to do what we need to do. We need to back it up with science. And nursing PhDs are super needed. Like, again, you don't have to be an NP. Like, you can go get a PhD and do research in these areas, and you'll elevate our profession of nursing, period, by doing that. Because, like, I don't think the literature is out there to support changing NP programs so drastically like we're talking about. No, I I agree with you. Um I haven't I haven't seen anything that's a true kind of call to action type of paper or publication. And that's and that's what's needed to make change happen with our profession, you know? Yeah. So well, I want to be respectful of your time. I feel like we've really uh dug into some exciting perspectives that, you know, maybe not everyone has thought about, but if you haven't thought about them yet, hopefully these types of things are on your radar. And to kind of wrap things up and end on uh, a cheerful or encouraging note, what's something that you are excited about or excited for in 2021? Related to like being an NP or like anything? Anything. Oh, boy. My son is going to turn two in May. 
And that's so exciting. I can't believe I've been a mom for two years almost. <laughs> and I have more gray hair. I'm hoping to sleep. I'm looking forward. My son has not slept for those of you that have followed me or, you know, know me at all. He doesn't sleep. He never sleeps. It's tough. Well, is he sleeping right now? I heard him crying. Like during us during us recording, I'm like, oh, I hope she can't hear that. Like that's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> like this is well, my life. I was gonna say, if he's sleeping now, then we will end things here <laughs> and you <laughs> go get yourself some sleep. <laughs> you kidding oh, me? I got um, a chart. And finally <laughs> Oh no. Um finally, where can people remind my listeners where they can find you and hang out with you and learn from you on the internet? On on the interwebs. Yep. I am at Dose of Support on Instagram, on Facebook. We have a private group, and I post all of our episode information there. Um, I have a website, www.doseofsupport.com. There's all the places you can reach me, a little bio. All of our episodes are there. Any affiliates or things that I am partnered with, those are there. But I am really active on Instagram. I try to do funny reels. If you enjoyed my sarcasm here, you'll see it there too. And a little bit of my life is on there too. So I hope that you listen to Dose of Support and, and continue to support interdisciplinary work like, like what I'm doing and promote NP success like I'm doing too, hopefully. Awesome. Thank you, Vanessa. Appreciate your time so much. And because I'm a super Googler, it's American Association of Colleges of Nurses. AACN. Right? Um, oh, my gosh. And the Commission on Collegiate Nursing Education, which is CCNE. That's a lot of letters, folks. So yeah. cut us some slack. Yeah. <laughs> so like those are the places I think we need to like get a seat at the table because those people do not know what's happening out here. It's the wild, wild west in NP, NP land. Like it's. <laughs> It's the wild, wild west. And if anyone has any network connections at either of those organizations, please feel free yeah. to let us know and uh, make an introduction. We will be more than happy to accept that uh, network connection. Amanda will be the more professional of the two. I will be dropping <laughs> fucks. <laughs> All right. That's our And cue. that's our show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Vanessa. Yeah. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.